0: Well, hello, and welcome to the Bible for Beginners. I'm glad you are interested in this topic, and, and if you're like a lot of us, you're probably one of those people who, uh, during this time with a uh, being forced to be inside a little bit more, um, you've got some opportunity to perhaps pull a, a book or two off the shelf that you've been meaning to read or wanting to read, and and. Uh, and the thing is, with the Bible, because it was the, and is the best-selling book of all time, most of us have got a Bible on our shelves somewhere. And, and it's one of those books that we, many of us think that we probably should read or know a little bit more than we do. And, and so, why not? Now's a good time to think about the Bible, read about the Bible, study the Bible a little bit. Um, before we get into this series, though, I want to just kind of set some, establish some, some guidelines, some expectations uh, for some people Um, as they read the Bible or want to read the Bible and know the Bible more, it's because they want to be able to take the the truths or the passages from the Bible and apply them to their lives and and solve problems, right? And and where that might happen on occasion or more generally, that really isn't the the purpose of of this study or or of this Bible for Beginners class. Um, So the other expectation that people might have would be that... um, I want to know the Bible better, so that next time I get in that debate with my friend or my family member that I disagree with, I can destroy them or I can own the, you know, the, the conversation and uh, and the debate. And um, this is probably not for you uh, either. I hope that we will all um, develop a, a better understanding of the Bible, how to read the Bible, and, and the different parts of the Bible. Um, but this is really uh, starting from a position of understanding the Bible not as a how book, like, like how do I do this or how do I do that. The Bible wasn't written, we believe, I believe, to be a how book. Instead, the, the Bible was written to be a why book. So it answers the deeper questions of life. Why? Like, why, why, why am I here? What, what bigger purpose is there for my life? Why, why did God create the earth? Why, why does God love me? Um, why is life difficult? So those larger questions are questions that the Bible really addresses as a deeper, profound, eternal, spiritual uh, book of, of of wisdom and truth. So th- those are our quick expectations, just to kind of start off. That's where we're, we're coming from before we dive into the Bible. And actually, before we... Um, even get to reading the first section of the scriptures, which is going to be the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Before we do that, we're going to take this first episode and talk about how you read the Bible, how we approach this text, and what our expectations can be in general for how we read the Bible. Um, Now, the first thing I think uh, for us to understand in this regard is that even though the word Bible means book, uh, the Bible is not a book probably the easiest place to start is to, when you think about the Bible, think about a little library. You know those little libraries, those cute little neighborhood libraries that people sometimes have put in their front yard? Think about the Bible uh, like that. It, it, it holds 66 different books or, or passages, or I should say uh, letters, or, or different forms of literature, but they're all bound together, right? Written over thousands of years. And so when you open up the Bible, you're opening up, a library, a small library, but still a significant library. And, and that library, depending on what part of it you open up to, is going to be a, uh, a book uh, uh, that was written um, as, as a history book, or it, it could be a book full of laws. Uh, it could be a prophetic literature. And so the way you read prophetic literature or poetry, like the book of Psalms, or a history book, or, or a law book, right? We all know that you read those things differently. You have different expectations. You you have different assumptions as you go into them. There's going to be more allegory. This is going to be a little more literal. Or, or if, if you're reading an epic, you know there's going to be grand stories and, and and large swaths pictures that are going to be drawn that aren't maybe necessarily made to be, to be taken or interpreted literally, but they, they're conveying an idea. Um, so, First of all, we need to know that when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about a library, not a book. And it is a library filled with all sorts of of genres of of interesting types. Um, And and like I said, we're going to get into the the epistles, which are, uh, I'm sorry, not the epistles. The first we're going to talk about next week is is the the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, But uh, that's just one of the many kinds of literature that you find in the Bible. Okay, So, the Bible is a Library. Let's start there. And, and, and so in order to understand this library and to dive into it in any piece of literature that you read, um, we need to talk about interpretation. How do you interpret this text? And the word that we use when we read the Bible, uh, and that you read other, other texts as well, is, uh, is hermeneutics. So what is hermeneutics? Her- hermeneutics is a big word um, that really originates from, comes from the word Hermes, and some of you probably have heard of Hermes before, and the, um, the Roman equivalent is, um, uh, who's, who's the Roman equivalent? The, the God that brings the, um, the message from the gods to the, the humans. Anyways, it'll come to me. But um, in, the, in the Greek, it's Hermes, right? The, the winged. Messenger, and it's the idea of the this in between. You've got the truth of the gods, and you've got then the humans that get the message. But the, it's the translation, it's the interpretation of the word from the gods, right? Mercury, is it Mercury? Anyways, um, so the interpretation of the scriptures is important to apply hermeneutics, right? This study of hermeneutics. But before we even get there, some people would say, you know, should you even be um, interpreting the Bible? Shouldn't you just read the Bible? And apply what it says to your life, and, and that's it. You don't you don't mess with the Bible. It's the Holy Word of God, um, and and you just you just apply it. That's all. Well. Um no, actually. Uh, my answer to that is, no, that, that's not how you do it. That's not how the scriptures were intended to be read. In fact, the Bible interprets itself. And, and if you read the different characters in the Bible, and, and they refer to scripture, um, and they refer to the things that God says, there's an understanding that there's an interpretation that has to take place, right? One of the, one of the passages that I um, often turn to is, is the... Um, the the passage from um, Luke chapter ten, Luke chapter ten verses twenty five and twenty six, um, there's this great interaction between Jesus and a teacher of the law. Now this young teacher of the law finds Jesus, who we believe is is God incarnate, right? The God, our, our God that uh, that came to us in Christ. Um, this young lawyer, comes to Jesus, who he sees as a rabbi, and he says, uh, this wise rabbi, Rabbi, you know, tell me, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns to him and he says, you tell me, what is written in the law and how do you interpret it? Now, the law, you have to understand here, it means, the, it means the Bible, it means the Hebrew Scriptures. That's what this, this lawyer would have been schooled in the Hebrew Scriptures, because that was what, kinda, was what ran the, the, the Hebrew, the Jewish community, right? And so this, this law, lawyer comes to Jesus, who would have been someone who was trained in the Scriptures, and, and he says, how do I, uh, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? What does the Bible say? And then his second part is, and then how do you interpret that? What is written in the law and how do you interpret it? And so there's this understanding, even from the lips of of Jesus, that there is both the written word and then how you interpret it. The same way someone speaks and says something and then you hear it, right? And sometimes what, what you say is not what people hear. And sometimes what someone writes is not what you read, right? There's an interpretation process there and we have to understand that and be humble about it and recognize that different people are going to interpret the exact same text in different ways. So is our hermeneutics necessary? Yes. Is interpretation and interpreting the scriptures um, at all uh, 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 inaccurate or, or not helpful or something that we shouldn't be trying to do? Um, no, it is something we should be trying to do. Are we going to be inaccurate sometimes? Yeah, we will be inaccurate sometimes. But it is uh, an enterprise that we need to engage in interpretation, hermeneutics. The next step in trying to understand how it is that we read the scripture, how we we in, we interpret it, is to is to know that the that the very words of scripture. We like to think some people like to think we have to take them literally. These are the written words of this is the written word of God that has come to us. Um, the, the the truth is, any biblical scholar will tell you this, that the actual words written, right, words of God, say you think it was Moses who wrote down maybe something in the Old Testament or, or one of the prophets or maybe the, even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament in his letters, none of those original, they're called original autographs or original manuscripts, none of those original autographs exist, never been found, they weren't bound anywhere, put anywhere, they were passed around until they were lost or deteriorated or whatever, We do have little fragments, however, of little pieces of papyri or whatever from the earliest one is is actually it's called uh, P52. The earliest papyrus that we have is is from um, the year uh, 125. Um, So that's a piece of paper that was a copy of a copy of a copy found from the year 125. Um, that, that is the earliest piece of like original manuscript that we find. There are over twenty-five thousand different pieces of paper um, writing um, from different um, documents that are in, in Greek and in Latin and in, and in Hebrew and in Coptic that, that are put together by teams that try to interpret, uh, translate the Bible. So many, many sources over many, many, many years, and we do not have any of the original documents, right? So we just need to keep that in mind. And there, so there's a humility and there's an appreciation for the translation process that is has taken place. So any Bible that you have on your shelf is a translation of a translation as a copy of a copy of a copy starting from not even the original documents. And so this idea that somehow you can have the written word of God in your hands and you've got the original document that should be interpreted um, you know, uh, directly uh, and strictly um, we, we don't do that. Uh, we understand the process and we take that into account. Um, and yet we also believe that God still speaks through this, these words and these documents in ways that are powerful and profound. The first group of, of uh, the first time all of the books that we call uh, the, the canon that were recognized as being authoritative as books of the Bible, the first one of those that would have been really even put together, right, because writing was a, quite a process, um, would have been what was called the, the, the Latin Vulgate, uh, written by Jerome, uh, commissioned by the Pope at the time, and that was in the year 400. That would have been about the first time in the year 400 that something that looked like today's Bible actually existed bound together. Very rare copies of that as uh, as that was translated, some of the first earliest English translations were like you might have heard of the the Wycliffe translation or the, or the Tyndale translation um, as you know different peoples in different parts of the world became more literate and, and the Christian scriptures went there. It was translated in other languages and in other ways. What we typically hear about what I typically have heard about because i 'm a white guy who grew up in the United States was more the Anglo and English. Uh, translation uh, process, and and so um, the the you know out of the the Reformation then and in the 1500s uh, the, the the Geneva Bible was written, um, and then from that uh, you know you had the the invention of the printing press and, and the King James version, which is what a lot of people had, was written by commissioned by the king of England, uh, a group of scholars got together and in, in 1611 they wrote the King James version of the Bible, and they were drawing on previous Bibles that had been written. They were drawing on the the Latin Vulgate, which was written in the 400, and 400. None of them were you know, going back and finding the original documents of Moses or of Paul or anything. So um, every time a new Bible is written, a group of scholars come together and, and try to do the best they can, taking all the old manuscripts and piecing together something. And the other interesting thing about translations of the Bible is that um, on occasion, new discoveries are made, right? Uh, new codecs or papyrus are found as some work is being done in Saudi Arabia, or uh, you know, uh, 40, 40 years ago or so when the Dead Sea Scrolls was this massive trove of, of uh, first century papyri that were found. Um, not that far from the Dead Sea, uh, all of a sudden, we had um, copies of books of the Bible that we hadn 't had before that were predated any that we had. and so the the newest versions of the Bible actually contain better information historically than than some of the some of the earlier ones. And the fact is, we will probably have more discoveries and we 'll learn other things. And so every version of the Bible that comes out builds on the past and might be a little bit different um, and, and, and perhaps improved. Um, and then also the teams of people that interpret and translate the Bible have got to make decisions. They come from backgrounds, they, they can be a group of, you know, typically it's, it's been men that have come together, but it could be a group of Catholic scholars, it could be a group of Protestant scholars. Um, but usually they come from one kind of background or another, whether it's more moderate or conservative. And, and then how they translate the Bible, they can either go for what's called a word-for-word a word translation. I try to translate the exact word um, in Hebrew uh, to English or German or to Swahili or whatever language you're translating it into, or you go for what's called a dynamic equivalent translation where you just uh, you try to take the meaning of a phrase or a sentence and you translate that meaning or phrase as best as possible. So that's why we have hundreds of different translations of the Bible today. Um, and so when you read the scriptures, you should probably try to read different versions, if you can, you know, if you really want to be kind of more scholarly about it and get different perspectives. And each one of them is going to come through a different lens and have a little bit of a different agenda, a little bit of different background and information that that goes into it. So that is the process of uh, translation, which which makes uh, the Bible even more amazing, uh, complicated, uh, dynamic. Um, so the question, uh, you know, that we <laughs> we want to ask is, so, so like, what can the Bible say to us? Like You've got all these versions, and these translations. What does the Bible say, this, this why book? Um, one of the biblical scholars that, that, uh, that I studied when I was in seminary is a gentleman named uh, Dr. Dale Martin. He's a retired New Testament scholar from Yale. Um, and, and one of his provocative lines that stuck in my head was he said, the Bible doesn't say anything. The Bible doesn't say anything. And and what he meant by that is not that the Bible doesn't speak to us or doesn't have resonance or truth. What he's saying is literally the Bible doesn't say anything. When people say, well, the Bible says this or the Bible says that, whether it's about gay people or it's about, you know, uh, the creation or or whatever, um, the Bible doesn't say anything. The Bible doesn't have lips. The Bible doesn't have larynx, right? The only people that say things are us, and, and we have to read the text, translate it, interpret it, and then we speak, right? So the Bible doesn't say anything, so the process of understanding the words of the Bible and then speaking to others what we think the Bible means is really important because we're the ones who say what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't, and and that whole process of, of how the Word of God was revealed to us and passed on to us, is something that's also very subjective and kind of beautiful, right? From the beginning, we believe that God, you know, speaks to or spoke to and continues to speak to, we hope, um, people in profound ways, right? Whether they were prophets or they were patriarchs or matriarchs, and and uh, and that. Word of God, you know, ignites within them and, and they're filled. And many of the people that God probably spoke to initially were illiterate and they probably couldn't write. And so the fr- first thing they did is they just told stories. This is what God said to me. And that story got passed around. It got passed around from household to household. It got passed around and and told around fires as as these herders and nomadic people went from place to place and and the stories began to form them. And, uh, and then they were added to by other stories. So we our Jewish Hebrew Christian tradition uh, is one of, of storytelling. Verbal storytelling. And, and, uh, and the stories, the epic stories of, of creation and of the flood and such were told around fires and communicated. Story of the Exodus. It really, we don't believe they were the words of the Bible uh, were written down until the, the Hebrew people were taken into exile in somewhere around 600 BC. Um, they were invaded right, by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, if you can remember this biblical history at all. And then they um, were taken away and, uh, and they found themselves exiles in another land. And they said, you know what, before we forget these stories... Uh, we need to write them down the, all these things that who we are, and so they began to kind of think and gather and, and if there were other written documents, they tried to gather them together it 's during those times of intense um, challenge uh, when you think perhaps you might lose your identity uh, you know in, in contrast, say to another culture that you we feel the the greatest need to write stuff down right. Yeah. I've found this in my family that, that people, um, you know, when you're going through a major life transition or maybe even when you feel like you're coming to the end of your life, that's when people want to start doing their, their family history and start writing things down so that it can be passed on. That's what the Hebrew people did when they felt like perhaps they were under, you know, in their last years as captives, they began to write this down. And so we believe that the, the, the actually writing of the Old Testament and, 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 and formalizing it in written form took place at that time. Which is pretty cool, and then, uh, and then we have, of course, as as those writings were passed on, um, the, the 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 greatest revelation of God, the 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 Word of God, the words of God, became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, when God wanted to reveal God's self most fully to us, we believe as Christians that God came to us in Christ, and that Jesus was the Word made flesh. And so if we really want to know the Word of God, we really need to know Jesus, and we really need to understand that that is the fullest revelation of who God is. Sometimes Christians will get a little bit confused, and, and we will take the Bible, the book, the, the library, and we will, say, we will kind of add it to the Trinity you know Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Bible as if the Bible is holy, the Bible is not holy in the same way that God is holy. The Bible does not stand on the same ground as, as Jesus Christ. Um, it is the writings about. Um, so Jesus comes, um, God's fullest revelation, and then you've got those who follow after Jesus. You've got like the Apostle Paul and the disciples who, who talk about him, and then those things are written down, right? And, and then those writings about Jesus are then copied, and other copies are made, and those are passed around. And, and then you know at, at some point, like I said, the, the Bible is, takes a form, um, like the Vulgate or the, or the King James Bible, and it is those Bibles then that that those of us who grew up in the faith. Somebody in in most of my life, all of my life. Well, there was a couple of cases where I had some women pastors, but for the most part, it was men, white men, who taught me. And and if you were from a different tradition, it might have been it was just black men, or it could have been you know you know pick your pick your culture, your race, and and we tend to learn from people who look like us, who sound like us, um, and and a lot of those you know, pastors, if they were pastors or trained in one way or another, we're typically trained in the same way. So all of my professors and my pastors growing up, if they were scholars in the Bible, they learned uh, German because uh, German was kind of the first, uh, was the most uh, critical, um, the most the, the greatest critical biblical scholars were were German speakers. Um, and so y- we, we tend to... Um, even in the the voices that we listen to, those who interpret the Bible for us, there is a a common, even homogenous culture that comes along with that and, and for us just to recognize that. And so by the time we sit down and we open our Bible and we begin to read, it has been formed and passed on and translated and this revelation has taken all sorts of ways. And so as we read the Bible, we want to do it humbly and in recognition of this process to recognize what has shaped this word that we're reading, these words that we're reading, and what has shaped us and all of the influences. One of the, uh, one of the, the scholars that I appreciate, um, biblical scholars, a feminist scholar, is, uh, her name is uh, Dr. Elizabeth Schussler Fiorenza. Um, and uh, one of her quotes has also kind of stuck with me. And she, she talks about when we read the Bible, we should always apply a hermeneutic of suspicion. And a hermeneutic of suspicion just means that we don't necessarily, it doesn't mean you're suspicious of the text, you're suspicious of yourself. And you're suspicious of the people who interpreted the text because each one of us, no language, no interpretation is value free. She says, you know, all language bears cultural influence. God speaks in and through the text, but that text is interpreted and translated multiple times before we ever hear it. And in what way does the reading, the interpretation benefit one person over another or highlight one voice over another? And so that, that uh, hermeneutic of suspicion, I think, is a, is a good one. We need to be suspicious of ourselves and be humble, be humble. Um, finally, I want to talk about a couple of, of your words that perhaps you've heard about how it is that we draw the real meaning out of Scripture. How do you get the true meaning from Scripture? And uh, and one of the words I was taught in in uh, seminary was that you need to uh, practice exegesis, exegetical good exegetical work will help you to get the truth out of the scripture. The word exegesis it comes from the, the Greek, and it means guidance, like drawing the guidance, drawing the truth out of something. Ex means out of. Um, and so exegesis is the interpretation and the understanding of a text based on the, on the text itself. So you apply a critical method to it, you read it in its original language, and you draw the meaning out. That's how you really get the true kind of message of the word of God out of the Bible. Um, and then, of course, those of us who can't read Hebrew and Greek, we've got to rely on others who can do that. The problem with exegesis is it's supposed to be a, an objective way to draw the truth out of the Bible. But I think all of us agree uh, would agree that, that there's no objective reading, right? Any time that you read a book or even you study a book in its original language, you are still bringing your wisdom, your experience into that, and then you are bringing, you know, reading through that, the, the, the cultural experiences that you've been through, as well as the cultural experiences and, and the perspective of the person who, who wrote that down and who interpreted that and who brought, brought about the various translations of the text that you're reading. And so what we were told not to do in, in seminary was don't, don't perform eisegesis, don't read your own self. Don't read your own interpretation into the text. Isa means into, exa is out of. But I remember even when I was in seminary thinking, well, don't we all perform eisegesis as we seek to perform exegesis? Aren't, Aren't we all reading ourselves into the text as we try to draw God's word out of it? So I think, once again, Uh, Even these critical terms, even these technical terms that we try to use, hermeneutics and exegesis, we need to realize the human element, the subjective element of of it all, and again, to recognize that God still works through it. That doesn't exclude God. God is included in that whole beautiful, messy, translative process. So is it worth it? Is it worth uh, reading the Bible uh, and trying to use it as a guide for our faith, authoritative right in our faith? And I would say absolutely. Absolutely. Is it easy? No. Can it be a dangerous book? Yes. If it's misinterpreted, the Bible has been very dangerous. It has done things and perpetuated wrongs and perspectives that have alienated and even killed groups of people, genders of people. Um, so it can be a dangerous text. That's why we got to read it humbly, right? But we do need to, to read it. Um, the same way I would say that family, right? Fa- family can be difficult. Uh, some of the most important people in your life that you're committed to, staying committed to and engaged at a deep and beautiful and personal way that changes you, that's hard work. Is family easy? No. Is it worth it? Yes. Okay. Is being in love easy? Is it, uh, no. Is it complicated? Yes. Is it worth it? Yeah, I think it is. So the same way with reading something like the, the Bible. Um, Richard Rohr puts it this way. He's one of my favorite Catholic scholars, and he says, uh, these inspired writings of the Jewish and Christian people over thousands of years have been chosen by us to be normative, right? It's over not just when they were written, but successive, smart, humble, good men and women for thousands of years have said, yep, no, this, these texts contain wisdom in a way that is profound and different, and, and we need to uh, recognize that. And so it has been seen over tradition and over generations for, for these texts to be instrumental and normative. They give us, Rohr says, a touchstone for what we believe. They set a trajectory that we can build on. And if you don't have that, the field is so wide open that you have no home base. Scripture is our home base. So we start there. If If you don't If you don't remember anything else, or nothing else sticks out to you from this first of our Bible for beginners uh, in hermeneutics and interpretation, um, let let me give you just four four C's that you should hold on to. If you read the Bible and you want to do it well and 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 get the most out of it, I think you've got to remember these four C's, right? And the the first would be context. What is the context you're reading a, a piece of literature? What context does it fit in? Is it poetry? What are the passages that come just before it? What are the passages that come just after it? Understand this. Don't just grab a passage out of the Bible and say, this is what, you know, I'm going to apply this to my life. I mean, sometimes it's fun to open the Bible and and read and go, wow, that passage really spoke to me. I think that's beautiful. But in general, that's not the way the Bible is to be read. We want to understand its literary context. And then the second C would be culture. Understand the culture that it's written in. At what time, and just because uh, Scripture might say women should be silent in church, um, is, is that descriptive or is that prescriptive? Is that just saying what that culture practiced 2,000 years ago, or is that God saying women should never speak in church today? So you, you need to understand the, the culture of the time plus your own culture and how you've been enculturated, right? So context, culture, and then the next thing I'd say is is Christ Remember that all things that we read in the Bible should fit through the fullest revelation of God's word to us in Christ. So if you're reading something in the Bible that seems out of line with Christ's teachings or who Christ revealed God to be, then I think it's okay to question it, right? We're Christians, and Christ is the fullest revelation of God. And so um, you've got context, you've got culture, you've got Christ, and then finally you've got community, Um the Bible is not a book to just read on our own in, in, a, in a closet by ourselves. It's something you want to read in dialogue with others. You want to hear others' opinions. You want to do it in community and, and listen to the wisdom that comes from different perspectives. Context, culture, Christ, and community. That's it, friends. That's our first episode of the Bible for beginners. A little bit of hermeneutics for us all. I hope, uh, I hope that was helpful. I look forward to, uh, to talking with you again next time as we dive into the gospels. All right. Take care.